Well, Lamentations, uh, well, let me start by saying this. Julie and I and Mikey uh, and our family are just so thankful to all of you for your um, kindness to us this past week. Uh, it certainly has been a rough week. I think, especially for Mikey, he's, he's had a time of it, as you can imagine. But as always, you know, you're aware of the faithfulness of God, but you're also aware of the faithfulness of God's people. And so it's a great joy to be able to thank you for that this morning. Thanks so much. Well, Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in our passage today, is a reminder that regardless of uh, failures, regardless of our circumstances, even if we're guilty of the worst kind of spiritual adultery, which Judah and Jerusalem certainly was, that's what we're reading about in our passage, even if we're guilty of cosmic treason against the living God, which all of us were, at one point, and some of us still are, regardless of the good and the bad in life, God is ever eternally, infinitely a faithful God, always and forever. When the writer, who I assume to be Jeremiah, begins to work through it, he, he mentions three different things that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, first, he begins with himself. He moves from himself to the living God, and then he erupts in great hope and praise, which is what all of us hope to do as well. That's the passage we're looking at today. Well, back in the 1970s, I was alive back then, and Julie and I owned a 1967 Volkswagen Beetle. Someone asked me this morning if I was going to talk about my driving, and uh, no, I'm not. But we are going to talk about cars a couple times this morning. Don't laugh, it's a Volkswagen, I get it, it was a little red Volkswagen Beetle, just a tiny little thing, and, but it was fun. A fun car, and it was reasonable for us, reasonably dependable, and we just liked it. Everything was good about that car except for one thing, and that was rust. Those old Volkswagen Beetles just wouldn't stand up to the weather, and they would begin to rust, and it was made from junk metal, and so it wasn't long before those cars became a problem. I remember one day I walked out into the driveway to get in the car, and the front headlight had fallen out of the fender of the car. And the only thing that was holding it up was the wiring harness, and everything else was there on the ground. And so uh, I did what every good mechanic does. I grabbed a roll of duct tape, and I duct taped that uh, headlight back into the fender, and it actually lasted for two or three more months. We were very happy about that. But one of the worst areas in those old Volkswagens was the uh, rusting of the brake lines. They ran in this trough on the unibody underneath, and the water would get up inside, it would lay in there, and those metal brake lines would begin to corrode and rust, and the next thing you know, you had problems. And I remember one day we were coming up to an intersection, and I pushed on that brake pedal, and absolutely nothing happened. The car just kept right on going. And when I see people coming up to intersections 45 miles an hour, slamming on the brakes, I think to myself, just one time, they need that experience of pushing on the brake pedal, and guess what? Nothing happens. But that's their problem. My problem was that I was going through that intersection. Now, fortunately, those old Volkswagens had a little handbrake in between the two front seats. And so I reached out and I yanked up on that handbrake, Tires locked up in the back, and the car came to a stop just in time, and we were so very glad. What we're talking about is this. We live in a world that's really very full of faithfulness, 
And it is also a world where we experience unfaithfulness. We're surprised for some reason when we push on the brake pedal and the brakes don't work. Why should we be surprised? Because we're so used to the faithfulness of this world. When machines fail, we're saying, wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. When relationships break down, we say, wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. When our physical bodies fail us, we're surprised at that because we're so used to the faithfulness of the living God. God's faithfulness surrounds us. And we're so very thankful about that because God has built into this world his great faithfulness in spite of the fact that you and I at times enjoy calamity and trouble and breakdowns and even judgment. I think about my old Volkswagen. I think about the fact that that thing wasn't unfaithful at all. It was totally faithful to the laws of oxidation, right? It just was doing what it was supposed to do. The problem was the driver because he hadn't taken good care of his car and made sure that the brakes were handy. That was the failure. That's the way it is in this world. God's not the problem in this world, but there are times of faithfulness or faithlessness. So we're going to look today at three reasons to rest in God's faithfulness. And the first reason is this, the faithful God knows that we live in an unfaithful world. He's totally aware of that. Our world's broken. Our world is treacherous. Our Our world is full of ruin. It is full of loss. Uh, Certainly this was true for Jerusalem, and in verse 19 and 20 we find two things. One's an appeal by Jeremiah, the other is an observation. The appeal in verse 19 says this, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. And if you remember anything about the life of Jeremiah, you know that he lived at a time when Jerusalem fell, when, uh, all of, when the temple was destroyed and everything in his world fell apart. Personally, personally, Jeremiah experienced the very wrath of God. Firsthand, firsthand knowledge of God's great wrath. Now, it was orchestrated by Nebuchadnezzar, as you know that. And it was uh, really poured out on the city of Jerusalem and on Judah. And it included every single one of the Jewish people who lived there. Nobody was immune. Nobody was able to flee from it. It was one of those terrible calamities that caved in on both Jeremiah and the people of Jerusalem. And it's written about in 586 BC or somewhere like that, the utter destruction of the things that Jeremiah and all of the people were trusting in. It was a horrific siege. And if you read about it, 18 months with no food, 18 months with, with the constant fear of collapse, it was a brutal time. For Jeremiah and for everybody else. He was experiencing the total collapse of his world. And not only did God remember verse 19, God had orchestrated it. God had all brought it to pass. It was at God's hand that this took place. And so if you look at verse 12 of chapter 1, you'll see this. God says, or Jeremiah says, all this was brought upon me. The Lord had inflicted it on the day of his fierce anger. So it was judgment, and it was judgment from God. Now let's just issue a disclaimer as we work through this. For Jerusalem, God's faithfulness came in the, in the form of judgment. That judgment was the faithfulness of God that was on display. But that's not always the case. Sometimes the righteous suffer with rebels. We understand how that works. And Jeremiah himself 
probably wasn't a carnal man. He was probably somebody who followed after the Lord. And there was probably other people in Jerusalem who also were faithful to the Lord. So not every judgment, calamity is God's judgment, but this was. And not every devastation is judgment either, right? Because some of it's just the result of living on this earth. It's a broken world. It's a world that's falling apart at the seams. It's only held together, frankly, by the faithfulness of God. And further, in every single event of our lives, and in every relationship in our lives, in every season of life, those seeds of wormwood and gall grow up like weeds in the garden. There's part of the experience. So on one hand, you've got faithfulness. On the other hand, you have calamity. How in the world do you put this together? So this time, at least, in Lamentations, it was a judgment on the nation. We know that because in Joshua chapter 23, the Lord makes a covenant with the people of Israel. He says, hey, good will come to you if you follow me. Bad will come if you don't follow me. And in 586 BC, God's faithful fulfillment of that promise took place on the people of Israel. The Lord will bring upon you all the threats Joshua told them until you, the Lord has destroyed you from off of this land. And that's what took place. So Jeremiah is like, Lord, remember, take a look, understand it, see it, the wanderings, the afflictions, the wormwood and gall. That's the appeal. And it's followed in verse 20 by this cry. My soul surely remembers it. My soul surely remembers it. And I am crushed and I am broken and I am disengaged. Well, all of us who have felt the weight of grief, and all of us in this room have, we understand that it's kind of like carrying a sack of concrete on your chest. And someone says, how are you feeling? You feel like there's a sack of wheat on your chest, and if you could just get it off, that you would be happy and content again. It's, it's this heartache that won't go away. It's a soul cry. It isn't something that's cerebral. We're not just thinking, I feel really bad. How should I feel about that or think about that? We're saying, this thing weighs on me. That's what Jeremiah was going through, this clamoring for hope. Not only remember, but also deliver me because I really am feeling this trouble. Regardless of the cause, you and I both know that our first response should be Jeremiah. As we look around, we see the devastation. We understand on the second side of it that God is faithful and we turn to the living God. Remember my affliction, my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers and it is bowed down within me. It is crushed within me. That is number one, the reason. First reason we should trust in God's faithfulness is because God knows it. He knows And he knows firsthand because his own son experienced it on our behalf on the cross. It's something we can always bank on. First reason, God's uh, faithful God knows that we live in an unfaithful world. The second reason to rest in God's faithfulness is God's, the faithful God is ever and utterly faithful. He is ever and utterly faithful. But, and that's the big word, but... It's one of the best words in the Bible, I think, but I call it the blessed conjunction, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And what we see in verse 21 and following is, is this transition within Jeremiah that he's looking at the devastation, but he's realizing that there's something greater and bigger taking place, and that is the faithfulness of the living God. It's as if he, he, he looks at this, he sees it, he looks over here and he sees God, and he's totally reoriented. He does a 180 And he realizes that there's something bigger and better and more wonderful. And it is the faithfulness of the living God. The faithful God is ever and utterly faithful. Well, Lamentations 3 is probably one of the most memorized of all the passages in the Bible. Most of us know it by heart for good reason. Because our lives are this way so very often. And because we need to remember not only the misery of life, but also the faithfulness of God. This emphasizes the very faithfulness of God. It is, um, it is a reminder that God cannot be anything other than faithful. That that's the way he is. It isn't something that he possesses. It is something that he is in his essential being. God is a faithful God. He never forgets. He never fails. He never um, falters. Psalm 108 tells us God's faithfulness. It reaches to the sky. And that's a great encouragement for you and for me. So in verses 21 through 23, we see God. We see God as God is. And we see God as God always will be. Steadfast in loving kindness, merciful and faithful. So we leave the realm of self And we enter into the realm of theology. And frankly, it's a relief to be able to do that. <laughs> to move into that realm where we start to seek God rather than seeing our problems. In his very wonderful book, The Knowledge of the Holy, and I recommend it. Uh, A.W. Tozer writes this about the glory of God. He said, the inspired writers of scripture were wise men of like passion with you and with me. Dwelling in the midst of life. What they learned about God became to them a sword, a shield, a hammer. It became their life motivation, their good hope, their confident expectation. And then he ends that paragraph with these four short, but I think stunning words. He says this simply, profoundly, they knew their God. They knew their God. That's what we need. Above everything else, we need to know our God. Because that's the insight that really does transform all of life. And this is why all honest transformation of heart and soul, it has to begin with the vertical. This I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. The faithful God is ever and utterly faithful. And then in verse 22 and following, uh, there's this <clears throat> pretty cool I would even say a masterpiece of a poem because it, it kind of leads us to the climax. There are three parts to it. It's called tricolons in, the, in Hebrew literature. It's not rooted in emotion. It's not rooted in feeling. It's rooted in absolute fact about the way God is and who he is. And so on the first level, the first thing, the first line of this poetic masterpiece, it, it speaks of continuity. That is... That God is the same yesterday, he's the same today, he's the same forever. And in one of those areas, he is faithful in his steadfast love toward us. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It started in eternity past, it's moving through, it moved past history. It's moving through our lives, it's going to continue on past our lives, and it's going to go on into eternity. It never ceases. It's like a river that never stops flowing 
That is the steadfast love of the Lord. Of course, loving kindness, steadfast love, hesed. We've read about that before. It's just eternal. That's the point that he's making. It never stops because it never started. It is part of the nature of God. It would violate the very nature of God for him not to be full of steadfast love. How wonderful is that? Hesed, it never ceases. That's the first thing. The second thing we see is the, that his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So he moves from that vertical plane. He starts to think of the breadth of God's mercies. They're like an ocean. It's like being in the middle of an ocean. No matter where you turn, God's mercies are abundant and everywhere around you. There's no escaping the mercies of the Lord. Speaking of the breadth of it. Then, and he's speaking about this gut-felt tenderness that is part of the nature of God. That when we are devastated, and when we are saying, Lord, remember, my soul remembers, we have a God who says, I do understand that. And I'm walking with you in that. And my mercies, it's not like you go over to a, a little bucket and you know, get some mercy on you. It's like, just try moving apart from the mercies of God, because that cannot happen. Psalm 139 If I go to the heavens, guess what? You're there. If I go to the depths, you are there. Always there, ever concerned, always engaging us, moving towards us in mercy. So he begins with this dimension of time. He moves on to the breadth of it, that there's no way to get away from it. And then comes the crescendo of the psalm, which says this, speaking of the source of all of this, After he's been reoriented, after he's looked away from his problems, he sees the living God. He's not focused on wormwood anymore. He's not focused on gall anymore. He is focused on the living God. And he says this, and as his soul kind of explodes within him, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. And I don't think that that's the way he said it. Who knows? I think he said, great is thy faithfulness. Something like that. Who knows? But this is the discovery. And frankly, this is the testimony of every believer who has ever triumphed in Christ as they've gone through difficult times. Great is thy faithfulness. We sang about it this morning. You will hold me fast. I'm not able to do it, but you will hold me fast. In verse 20, he has no hope. He's in the dust. In verse 23, he is exultant in hope for one reason. And that reason is that God is faithful. He's faithful to himself, number one, and that's something for another sermon, but he's also faithful to you, and he's faithful to me. There is but one living and true God, imminent, transcendent, infinite in being and perfection, pure spirit, invisible, immutable, eternal, almighty, all-wise, all po- uh, most holy, most free, most loving, most gracious, most merciful, Those are good words, and in a word that uh, inevitably disappoints us, and in spite of all circumstances, it's great to know that we serve a God who is faithful. So yesterday afternoon, as I was um, polishing up the sermon, I think you'll test to the fact that no matter how much you polish the sermon, you're just like, oh, I need to polish it a little bit more, a little bit more, and fortunately, Sunday morning comes, so you have to stop polishing and actually get to work, which is good for all of us. I was in the, uh, my office, and um, so we live on Hoke Road in about one yard 
um, a, a one property, someone's yard is between us and then it's Route 662. So we can hear it, but we can't see it because of the trees and because it's down in a gully. And so as I sat there, um, I hear this squealing of tires and thinking to myself, somebody apparently is putting on their brakes, unlike my old Volkswagen, they work. And you hear it and you hear it and you hear it and then you hear crash. And you're like, oh my word. So I quick ran down. It was just the other side of uh, Cass Hawk's um, uh, yard there and climbed down over the hill and everybody, as far as I know, was okay. But you could tell that uh, this lady had come down the hill uh, wandered off to the right side of the road or tires had gotten stuck on the soft part off the road in the, on the shoulder of the road and she was having a tough time trying to get it back on the road without the thing swerving and going in the, in the other lane but guess what? That's exactly what happened. And she came down and bang, smashed in the car coming up the hill and it was just one of those things. I thought to myself, everybody's fine as far as I know. Um, I thought to myself, that's the way life is sometimes. That's the way our life was this week. I mean, everything's fine. Everything's good. Well, no, that's not true. Everything is generally fine, right? And everything is okay. We'll put it that way. And then all of the sudden, everything is veering out of the way, and you're trying to keep the thing going, and you're just hoping against hope that the whole thing doesn't crash and burn. Well, that's the way life is, and I think everyone in this room understands that. We've all been there at different times in our lives. When life clobbers you like that, which it did for Jeremiah and everybody who was living in Judah, when life hits us like that, it is good to remember that we have a faithful God. We have a very faithful God. It matters now. It's going to matter at the end of our lives because at the end of our lives, we're going to experience that. When everything's kind of okay, and then all of a sudden it's not okay. And for those of us who love the Lord, we're going to be standing in the presence of God. But for those who don't, it's a warning. I mean, this is a warning of judgment, and it's also a warning of great faithfulness. Let me take 30 seconds to list some of these great Bible verses about God's faithfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, no temptation has taken you, except which is common to man, and God is faithful. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 10 rather, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. 1 Peter chapter 4, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the one who calls you is faithful. Deuteronomy chapter 7, he is a faithful God. Psalm chapter 36, your love, O Lord, reaches the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Psalm 89, who is like you, O Lord God Almighty, O Lord, you are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. And Psalm 119, your faithfulness continues through all generations. It's almost as if God would like to get a message across to us that he is a faithful God. And we're simply saying this morning that God rightly bears his name, which is faithful and true. He is totally vested in faithfulness. It's just the nature of God. 
describes what he is. Well, in your notes, there are listed three primary expressions of God's faithfulness, and you can look at those later if you'd like to and take a good look. But in his essence, God is absolutely, utterly faithful to his name. We know that. Secondly, he is and must ever be utterly faithful to his character. That is who he is. He can't be other than faithful because that's who he is by nature and by essence. And then third, God is and must ever be utterly faithful to his word. In other words, what God says will come true, period. It can't be any other way. It's already been determined. It's just the faithfulness of God. It permeates his entire being. It's not something he has. It's something he is. And all of us, in at least in our heart and soul, should say hallelujah. Because that's not the way the rest of this world is. But it is the way God is. Number one, the faithful God knows that we live in an unfaithful world. Jeremiah saw unimaginable devastation. Horrible devastation. Much worse than we've ever seen. Number two, the faithful God is utterly faithful. Jeremiah says, recall that. right? But don't stay there. Don't be over in the wormwood. Don't be hanging out with the gall. Rather move and see the living God. And then the resolve is the third reason the faithful God gives unfailing hope. Certain and unfailing hope. Well, about 10 years ago, my grandson, Mr. Max was just this little guy. I know it's hard to believe. You look at him this morning to believe that he was like that big. He was. And uh, we would go uh, places together and I'd just grab him and I'd toss him up on my shoulders. You know how that works and off we would go. And one of the favorite places we went was Shady Maple. It was a very important place for us to be. Just something we needed to do. But that Shady Maple, that was supposed to be funny. So at Shady Maple, <laughs> all right, around the backside, um, there is this fish pond, and it's surrounded by a stone wall. It's not very tall, maybe two or three feet tall. Uh, and it was pretty sturdy, a pretty solid wall, except for the topper stones, which some of them were kind of loose. And so he loved climbing up on that wall and he'd go back and forth around and around. But when he'd come to one of those stones, you know, it'd start to shake on him and he'd kind of reach out and grab my hand, steady him to balance him. Well, in July, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, if he fell in, he'd get wet, I guess. And maybe some of those koi fish would nibble on him a little, not sure, but it wasn't really a big deal. But in November... And in December, when that water was almost frozen over, but not quite, it was a big deal because I didn't want to go home and have to explain to his mom and dad why he fell into the pond and got frozen in there and I couldn't get him back out of the place. And that's when he didn't reach for my hand, I reached for his. And I can tell you nothing was going to let go. I had him by the hand and I was holding fast. We sang about that today. He will hold me fast. And that's what's going on in this passage. In verse 24, we find this little word portion, which is a huge word. The Lord is my portion, meaning that, that everything God is, he is, and I get to be the beneficiary of that. That God is utterly faithful so that I can trust not only that I'm going to be able to hold on to him, which I can't do, but that he will hold on to me. He's finally figuring it out, Jeremiah, that his God is a faithful God and that he holds on with this unfailing hope. Verse 24, it's loaded with meaning. We won't go into it today so much except to say this. 
it means something to us, it would mean a lot more to those folks who are going through that calamity that took place in 586 B.C. Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion. He is saying, the Lord is my hope. He's my confidence. He's my salvation. He's everything that I have. I have nothing else. I can trust nothing else. The word portion is the word elect, which just means it's a share or it's a part or it's a territory or a parcel. And ultimately, it was actually a reward that God had given to all of the families who moved out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. We read about it in Numbers 18. The tribes of Israel were apportioned a portion of, uh, of the land of Egypt. They were given this lot, this inheritance, a chunk of land. But Aaron and his descendants were not given land because they were to serve in the temple. And so when God spoke to them, he says, I am not giving you an inheritance. Rather, he says, I am your portion. I am your portion. I am your inheritance which was very significant at a time when the portions of everyone else in the land of Judah were being taken away and squandered by the Babylonians. There was nothing left of the portions. That's the point. Well, when everything else on earth fails, when we've lost everything there is, whatever it is, God is saying, don't sweat that. I am your portion. I am your portion and you never can leave or never can lose me because I will never let go. God is utterly faithful. He will always hold his, uh, us fast. And that's why he could put his hope in God. Everything else was gone and it was pretty much gone, well, forever, depending on your eschatological view. I think it's coming back someday, but it was gone forever in essence And God is saying, no, 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 no. Don't worry about the temple. Don't worry about the city. Don't worry about those portions. I am your portion. So even in the midst of the most horrific devastation for you and for me, God is faithful. And because God's faithfulness is ours, it applies to everything else. And I've listed some of those, I think, in your notes. Temporal blessings, spiritual blessings, support when we're tempted, support when we're persecuted, sanctifying discipline, direction when we're in difficulties, enabling us to persevere, and then ultimately bringing us into glory. He's just saying, no matter what we experience, we do have a faithful God. And so Jeremiah looks in verse 24, he sees portion, he sees it's all lost, it's gone, that portion is over with. He adds to that the word, therefore, the Lord is my portion, therefore, I have hope. I have hope. And his hope is in the living God. Three reasons for us to rest in God's faithfulness. Number one, the faithful God knows that we live in an unfaithful world, he knows it. Our soul continually remembers it. We can't get away from that. But secondly, there's this 180 that takes place. He sees God, the faithful God who is ever and utterly faithful, regardless of calamity. No matter where I I turn from this world, I turn to a faithful God. And then number three, the faithful God gives us unfailing hope. He holds us fast. He's our portion. And therefore, we hope in him. Well, if you're like me, you woke up this morning, and well, most of us do. I, I realize that I look around on a Sunday morning and I see teenagers who, you know, it's 
10.30, they still haven't woken up. They're here, and we're glad. I don't know what, how teenagers seem to have the ability to get up in the morning, brush their teeth, get dressed, go down, have breakfast, come to church, sit there with their eyeballs open, but we know they're sound asleep still. Anyway, that's another, th- another day's story, I suppose. But when we woke up, none of us woke up and quick ran over to the window and looked out the window and like, I sure hope the sun is, is up today. I hope there's a sun in the sky today. Because we know God's faithfulness, the sun always comes up. It's a sign of his faithfulness. You know, we didn't roll over and go, is, is there oxygen in the air today? <laughs> of course we didn't do that. We're so used to God's faithfulness. And we're so comfortable in God's faithfulness. I mean, even Volkswagens are faithful to the, to the laws of God, right? If you don't take care of your Volkswagen, you're going to lose your brakes. So we're kind of used to that kind of faithfulness. We depend on the faithfulness of God every single minute of every day without even thinking about it at all. Jeremiah is saying, maybe we ought to be that way on a spiritual level too. To just depend utterly, completely on a God who cannot be other than faithfulness. He's the ultimate source of confidence in all things, this faithfulness of God. Jeremiah discovered it and it transformed his whole life, his whole soul. So he cries out with his soul. He's not just talking about cerebral things. He's saying, my soul has changed because I've looked away from the wormwood, away from the gall, and I've looked to the faithfulness of the living God. And as we learn it, it will transform us as well. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're just broad like the ocean. They never come to an end. They're new every morning. Why? Why is that true? Great is your faithfulness, O God. Let's bow as we pray. Father, we come to you and recognize that We do live in an unfaithful world, and you know it. And we also know that you are a God who is transcendently not like this world. You are faithful in all of your ways. You are faithful to us, and you're faithful to yourself, and you're faithful to your creation. We praise you for it. We would pray that you would give us hearts and souls that not only know that between our ears, but really know it deep down in our souls. Grant it, we pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.